Amen to that. Let's pray, family. Lord, um, it's, a, it's a celebration, Easter Sunday, but it is a reminder of the brokenness of our world and why Jesus had to come in the first place. Lord, um, I pray for the families of those people that we love and don't know but we'll meet someday. Who are now with you, God, um, having worshipped you and paid the greatest price of dying, Lord. My Father, I pray that you comfort the families as only your spirit can, who is their paraclete, the comforter, the helper. Uh, God, I pray for justice. God, I pray you might apprehend those who were part of these plans of these suicide bombings in multiple locations that people were just having their hearts set toward you. God, I pray that we would not waste our lives. God, I pray that we would live like there is a purpose attached to our souls that go far greater than what someone might think of us. And Lord, that we would be, uh, Lord, just passionate, um, decisive, resolved, just setting our minds to following Jesus no matter what the cost is. God, in our country, the cost could be loss of promotion. We might lose some friends at school. We might be insulted, maybe even physically assaulted. But God, no price that we might pay is greater than the joy of living for Jesus. So God, I pray you would impress that on our hearts today. Lord, I pray that the word that goes forth through my lips from your word would be guided by your spirit and be received in these ears, God, as a word from God. So Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear, grant us eyes to see, and that your spirit work here, God, lifting high the name of Jesus in undeniable ways. I pray for my brothers and sisters throughout the city of Chicago on this northwest side who are gathered in churches right now. Lord, I pray you would encourage them in their work, Lord. For those at the Belmont Assembly of God, at City Lights Church, at Urban Rock, at Brickyard, at Bethany Baptist Church, Lord, the churches throughout Elmwood Park, the house churches in our communities, God, bless these churches, bless New Life Community, bless New Life Covenant, Victory Worship Center. God, these are saints who love you like we love you, Lord. And we want to see their ministries thrive because we know if they're thriving, that means people are being changed. I pray the same here at the brook. Oh, Lord, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. Yeah. Family, who is at the right address this morning with me? I don't know about you guys, but I'm in the right place. Today we are starting a series here at the Brook Call, Encountering Jesus. Because Jesus is still in the business of encountering people. I've heard stories of men and women who've encountered Jesus through a dream in places where the gospel is not allowed, like in Syria. I've read reports about it. I've seen firsthand the way people have encountered Jesus at places like Liberia, West Africa, through the faithful witness of men and women like you who are going about in villages telling people about Jesus. I've heard of Jesus encountering people in all kinds of contexts, like that nine-year-old boy or so in 1990 
in a small camp in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, when for the first time he came to really understand that he was a sinful boy and needed Jesus. I remember that day at Lake Geneva when I encountered Jesus for the first time. And my hope and prayer is that you've encountered him as well. Not just some emotional high, but a true recognition that Jesus has lived and died and rose for you. And that you could think of that day or maybe that time period when that first made sense for you. Jesus is still in the business of encountering people. And I love what he does is that he encounters us in our mess, in our moment, what we're going through. Next week, Sunday, we're going to talk about how Jesus encounters us in our doubt. Any of you guys ever have doubt before? Yep. We're going to talk about the week after that, how Jesus encounters us in our regret. You ever been regretful? We'll also look the week after that, how Jesus encounters us in our hate, in our anger. You've ever felt anger? See, Jesus meets us in our spot, in our moment. Yeah, I know it's a little bit. It's a lot of it, right? We've had it. But today I'm going to talk about something that all of us know about. It's how Jesus can encounter you in your grief. Anybody ever felt sorrow here? Felt like you didn't know what to do? Jesus has a way of getting us in that place. And today we're going to see how he encounters a woman in her grief. But before we talk about Resurrection Sunday, let's backtrack a little bit to Good Friday. I stood up here on Friday and talked about how Jesus eyed the cross. And as the way to the cross grew nearer, the weight of the cross grew heavier. And we looked how Jesus knew what was coming. Because on that cross, he would be your and my substitute. He would step in our place, hang on a cross to die a death that you and I deserved. And at the cross of Jesus, the wrath of God would be poured out on him because we deserve judgment, and Jesus says, I'll take it for you. That's Good Friday. The last words Jesus uttered in the book of John chapter 19 is, it is finished. But the question I've got is, if it's finished on Friday, what are we doing on Sunday? If it finished on Friday, what are we doing today? And that's the thing. We need to understand what finished on Friday and what we're doing here on Sunday. What finished on Friday was his substitutionary death on your behalf. That's what was finished on Friday. But we've also got to understand something. There have been many a people who've died for a good cause in our world. There have been many a people who've died for something they believed in. So what differentiates Jesus from any other good person who might do a good deed on behalf of another? Here's what I want you to know. Is to die a death for what you believe in, that's a human endeavor. But then to go ahead and defeat that death is a divine endeavor. That's what Jesus did. See, he finished the substitutionary work on Friday, but he still had to defeat death. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, then we are here in vain. His death was of no value. His death was of no worth. It was ineffective without Sunday. What I also said on Friday was, spoiler alert, Sunday's coming. Family, Sunday's here. Yeah. Today I want you to meet me in the book of John chapter 20. And we're going to talk about 
how Jesus, in the midst of grief, encounters someone after his death. John chapter 20. And uh, I say this every single Sunday, almost without exception, because I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take the Bible that's in the chair in front of you. If you notice there beneath the seat, there's a blue Bible. We want you to have that and take it home. Because the Bible is God's Word. God still talks to us. And He does so through the Bible. And if you're like me, I want to hear what God's got to tell me. So please take that one home. And meet me on page 906 in that blue Bible. Or if you have your own Bible, John chapter 20. And would you please stand to your feet if you're able to as I read the scripture for this morning. See, my voice holds up, man. I was worshiping, family. That worship team was leading us today. Thank you. Whew. After Jesus raised, or, I'm sorry, dies on the cross, look at John 19, verse 30. You see, he says, it is finished. He is taken down before sunset because that's when the Sabbath starts, and you can't have a dead person hanging on a cross on the Sabbath day. Joseph of Arimathea puts him in his tomb, and then it's Friday, followed by the worst and longest Saturday in human history. And then chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day, that's Sunday, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Can you say early? While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's a code reference to John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he also went in, he saw, and believed. Can you say believed? For as yet they did not understand the scripture that, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And then verse 11, our key text for today. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but... She did not know. Can you say did not know? She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the Lord, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. You may be seated, fam. It was the first day of the week. It was Sunday morning. We're given that detail in chapter 20, verse 1, that it was still dark. The sun had yet risen. That is, the sun outside had yet risen. Mary goes to the tomb and sees that it has been rolled away. She goes right away and tells Simon, Peter, and John. She runs to them. And she's like, they've taken the Lord. We don't know if she looked in the tomb or she's making an assumption based on the tomb being rolled away, thinking grave robbers have taken them. But she runs away to Peter and John, tells them, and now a foot race takes place. Peter and John run to the tomb. John gets there first. Do you know why? Because Peter's older. He's an old dude. John's just faster than him. He's swift of foot. But one thing is true of Peter is he's got some nerve. Peter looks into the tomb and steps into it first. And he sees no body. John does the same. And it says John believed. And then Peter and John go back to their homes. The stage is set for what we're about to talk about. Mary Magdalene. Look at verse 1. It says, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. We're about to see some things about this woman named Mary that are crucial to understanding the, the story. But in order to look at this story, I want us to take a look at Mary Magdalene herself, the woman herself. Now, I've been talking a lot about Erica and our, my trip to Israel back in January. It marked us, I'll be honest. But I just kind of want to keep sharing pieces with you because we had the opportunity of going to this small village called Magdala, where Mary was from. It's right off the Sea of Galilee. It's actually currently still being excavated. It was a uh, a Hawaiian resort at one point until archaeologists began to discover, hey, this is where Magdala was. And there in Magdala, there's a synagogue. The Bible tells us that Jesus went around the time of the, the area of Galilee and he began to preach in the synagogue. So it's very likely that Jesus stepped into this synagogue and met Mary Magdalene there. But what's also critical for us to understand is the details about Mary Magdalene's life. Not a lot is given to us, but what is given to us is essential. In Luke chapter 8, the scripture reads this about Jesus with his disciples. Afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Now, I'm going to pause there because a lot of times we, we miss something really important. We envision Jesus walking around with his twelve disciples, but we forget the other detail that the gospels give us because Luke goes on to say, and also some women were with him. See, Jesus had an entourage, not just of his 12 disciples, but a group of women who also followed him. And then we find this about these women. It says, it says this about them. They were women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. The first woman mentioned is Mary Magdalene. And then it gives this detail about her, which I want you to check from whom seven demons had gone out. Mary Magdalene was a woman who had been oppressed by seven different demons in her life. 
And presumably, according to the context, Jesus is the one who freed her from this enslavement to these demons. Mary Magdalene then, from that point on, decided in her heart to follow Jesus. Mary knew something important, that when Jesus rescued her, he was worthy of her devotion. The scripture goes on to say that Mary, along with a woman named Joanna and Susanna and many others, provided for them out of their means. This is pretty wild. So Jesus, who had an itinerant ministry, which is to say he didn't have a job necessarily. He was walking around preaching the gospel. And the disciples were with him. They gave up fishing to follow him. A lot of times we forget this very important point, that it was the women who bankrolled Jesus' ministry. They were the ones who supported him. And of those women, Mary Magdalene. What I love about this is this this understanding. Mary understood something that you and I must understand. When we have been redeemed by Jesus, he is worthy of all of our devotion and pouring ourselves out entirely for him. That's precisely what Mary did. We get another part in the book of Matthew chapter 27. When Jesus had been arrested, betrayed, arrested, uh, beaten, nailed to the cross, and hung there on Golgotha, it says that there are also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene. So Mary was not only someone who believed in Jesus in the moment, but her deliverance led her into a lifestyle of following hard after Jesus, even till the point of his death. She watched her friend hang on a cross. Shout those seven last words, the seventh of them, it is finished. Mary was there when this took place. What we see about Mary is that she's a woman who understood the depth of God's forgiveness and it made a difference in her life. We got to understand something here, family. Easter is of little value to you and me unless you and I both understand how much we've been forgiven. We've got to understand the depth of what God has done for us. In fact, there's a story close to when we hear about Mary Magdalene where there's a woman who's known to be, quote, a sinful woman in the Scripture, which is codenamed for a prostitute. She enters a house where Jesus was and begins to fall at Jesus' feet and wash his feet with her tears and her hair. And these prideful religious leaders around Jesus are kind of like, if this man only knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And you know what Jesus says? He says, hey, let me tell you a quick story. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And these arrogant religious leaders gave the right answer. They're like, well, I suppose it's the one who's been forgiven more. And Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he, who forgi- but he who is forgiven little will love little. See, Mary understood that she'd been forgiven much. Until you and I do some real soul searching about how badly we need God, Easter Sunday is just another celebration we get to dress up and have fun. But that's not what Jesus rose from the dead for. He rose from the dead to change our lives. See, in our American culture, we have this understanding where we talk a lot about self-improvement. And there's a lot of good stuff in that. Don't hear me wrong here. 
But, but there, there are certain things that self-improvement can't take care of. We need to understand that there is intrinsic value in who we are as individuals. The Bible says that you and I have been marked with God's image on it. That's a beautiful thing. You have been made in God's image. But God's image doesn't get you into heaven. God's image does not get you into heaven. You see, self-improvement will tell you to do all kinds of good things. And yes, create a fitness plan. Go for it. Get your workout in. Go ahead and get a diet plan together. That's good for you. Yes, a financial plan. We need those. Set some goals. Go for them. But let me let you know, understand one thing. There is nothing you can do for a sin eradication plan. There is nothing you and I can do to deal with the sickness in our soul, which is called sin. And if we try to do that by being a better person, we're going to find ourselves digging a deeper hole. Because good people don't get to heaven. People who've been saved by Jesus get to heaven. See, God's got a plan for eradicating sin. And it's called Jesus, who took your sin on that cross and defeated it there and rose from the dead to give you life. That's how God deals with sin. Mary was forgiven much, and Mary was then able to love much. The more you know how broken you are and how much God has forgiven you, the more your love for God will flow and you'll pour your life out as Mary did. We come to verse 11, though, because now Mary is in a quandary. This person she loved, whom she had seen deliver her from these demons, whom she followed and poured out her life for, she saw him crucified. And we are told in verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside in the tomb. Uh, I mean, outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And then it says she saw two angels in white sitting there. But there's no reaction from her. Now I was thinking about this. This is pretty wild. If I look into a tomb, it's empty, but I see two angels in glittering white clothes, I'm going to have a kind of reaction about that. We get no reaction from Mary when she looks in the tomb. In fact, a few verses later, she turns around and sees Jesus there, but then uh, John tells us she did not recognize him. So we're like, okay, what's, what's Mary's problem? Does she need to go to America's Best and get some eyeglasses? I believe the answer to it is there in verse 11. She was weeping. Have you ever cried so hard your vision's been impaired? You've ever been so filled with grief that it's hard to see? And I'm not just talking literal, although that's certainly true. But your whole world is a fog because of your grief? This is what this story is about here. Here is Mary, who had given everything to Jesus, and now she saw him dead on that cross. Mary is experiencing the kind of grief that you and I do that blurs our vision. I'm going to unpack her grief and tell me if it's not unlike your own grief when she considers Jesus' death. Her grief was somewhat unexpected and timely. It's sure Jesus had talked about dying, but she didn't expect it like this. Her grief was tragic and senseless. Jesus had done no wrong. Her grief was very close to home. 
a dear friend. Her grief was the product of injustice. Her grief was helpless. She could do nothing to change the situation she saw unfolding in front of her eyes. Her grief was firsthand. She was there seeing it. Her grief was life-altering. She would never be the same because of what she's experienced. Her grief was complicated because Jesus talked about his fact that he needed to die. But this was her friend. It wasn't just her friend, but it was her teacher. It was her Lord. Like, it was complex. And then her grief was heightened. She couldn't even put flowers at his tombstone. She couldn't even go in there and put perfume on his body. Mary is stricken with grief. Don't let anybody tell you the Bible isn't relevant for you. Because grief is a human condition you and I have all faced and are facing. Some of you might be in it right now. You can hardly even hear or see what I'm saying because of the fog of grief. But what this story is here for us is tell us something, how God's about to meet her here. I heard somebody once say that the Bible is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper and it's as reliable as tomorrow's sunrise. So if you are one who is stricken with grief, let's see what Jesus does for her. Well, first we see that Mary is there staring into the tomb, looking at the place of grief. And isn't it wild that the very thing of hope is standing right behind her? And all she needs to do is turn around in her grief. The angels ask Mary a question. They look at her and they ask her, they say, Woman, why are you weeping? There in verse 13. And on the one hand, it's like, well, that's a pretty obvious answer. Her, her friend was just crucified. And now she can't find his body. And basically, that's what she tells them. She says, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they've laid him. But isn't it crazy? She hears some footsteps behind her. She turns around. In verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know him, that it was Jesus. And what does Jesus ask her? But the very same question. Look what he says. Woman, why are you weeping? Now I want to tell you something. When the Bible repeats the same phrase in this kind of proximity, it's calling your attention to look at it. And I looked at it this week. I'm thinking, like, why, why do the angels ask the same question Jesus asks? Why are you weeping? And I think part of the answer is the second question Jesus asks. What does he say there? He says, whom are you looking for? You see, on the surface level, Mary is there looking for something she did not expect to find. See, she expected to find the scent of death, not the fragrance of life. She expected to find a lifeless corpse, not a life-changing conversation. She expected to find a crucified body, not a familiar voice. You see, what Jesus is doing with his questions and what the angels are doing are saying, Mary, look a little deeper. Why are you weeping? And the truth of the matter is that she was weeping because her hope was lost. Her hope had gone down the drain. But this is where the rubber meets the road in our grief. Because what happens to Mary then is she encounters Jesus in her sorrow. She, she, she sees him there and what she is going through. Look what Jesus does. 
he says to her, Mary, Mary. One word changes everything for her. You see, her grief was temporary, blinded from seeing glory until she heard her name. In the same way, God is speaking your name and calling you today. You are no statistic in God's sight. You're no mere number in God's sight. You're not a failure in God's sight. All those things in the past, that's not how God defines you. He knows your name. And just like Mary, in your grief, in your sorrow, he's saying he's calling you by name. See, when the sorrows of life blurred her vision, she was able to trust the guiding voice that she knew. She had heard that voice speak that word, Mary, over the years. She had heard him refer to her, Mary, over the years. And here she hears his voice, and now what was blurry becomes clear, and she responds, Rabboni, teacher, it's you. It's you. It's who I've been looking for. We don't know exactly what her response was. Jesus tells in verse 17, don't cling to me. So he thinks that she must have just fallen at his feet, wrapped her arms around his leg, maybe threw her arms around his neck. What would you have done? We would have done like her. Like, are, are you kidding me? I saw you on that cross. I saw Joseph put you in that tomb. And now you're here, alive. And this is what Jesus says to her. Do not cling to me. You got to say, Jesus is not like, he's not like he's saying, hey, don't touch me. All right? He's not getting MC Hammer here, all right? What Jesus is about to say is, he said, don't hold on to this just yet. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and, my, and to my God and your God. You see, what Jesus is telling her is like, look, I'm alive. Yeah, I'm here. You don't need to cling on to me. I'm, I'm here. On the other hand, I'm not here for good for good. Like 40 days from now, I'm going to leave. I'm in this process of ascending, of being glorified, coming back to my Father. But don't hold on to me right now because there's work to be done. You see, when we encounter Jesus, there's a number of things that need to happen in our minds. And I want to speak to you here today if you are searching the Christian faith, if you've yet to really surrender all of your life to follow Jesus. See, my prayer is that you would encounter Jesus today. Encountering Jesus begins with understanding the magnitude of the sin in your heart that Mary understood. It begins with understanding how much you need to be forgiven. If you put away the self-help and you realize, man, these things don't deal with my heart condition, that's the beginning of encountering Jesus. And then listen in your mind's eye, in your ear, to God calling your name, saying, come to me. Believe in my son who went to that cross. And on that cross for your sins, he said it's finished. And from that grave, he would raise so that you could be forgiven and have victory. That's when we encounter Jesus. And then watch how he changes our lives. Some of you, church, who are here today have encountered Jesus. And he's changed your life. For me, it was in about 1990 in Lake Geneva. I don't remember my camp counselor's name. I can barely remember what he looks like. I can barely remember what he told me, but I do remember this, is that I understood I was a sinner, that my heart was filthy, and I needed to be forgiven. And I do remember when I prayed to put my trust in Jesus, 
having a strong sense that the Holy Spirit came in my life that moment as a kid. I remember running out of that chapel to the beach where I could find my brother and tell him the news. God encountered me. When did he encounter you? When did you first come to understand Jesus died for you? And if you could just flatter me here for a moment, what year was that? Shout it out. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So listen up. Maybe you didn't shout the year because you're shy shouting. That's all right. But I don't want you to have not shouted a year because you don't have one. Yeah. 2019 is a great year to shout. When Jesus would grab your life, save you, and give you forgiveness, call you by name, and make you a new person. See, the beautiful thing about these years as well, though, is that we're not told to live in that year. (laughs) I look back to that moment at Lake Geneva Youth Camp with great fondness. Whenever we go back as a men's retreat, I have a, I have a moment. I got to be by myself. I, I look back to it with joy. But one thing is clear. When Jesus encounters us, he does not intend for us to stay in that moment. What does he tell Mary to do? Don't cling to me, but what? Go. Look what he tells her. Go to my brothers. Go. Jesus has a, has a way of changing lives and saying, now go. If we look at the book of Mark, chapter 5, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee to encounter a man, a demon-possessed man, and he frees this man of his bondage, and this man is filled with gratitude, and he says, Jesus, can I go with you? Can I follow you and your disciples wherever wherever you're at? And you know what Jesus tells him? He says, no, because he says, go back home and tell your family how much God has done for you. He tells the man to go. You need another example? What about that woman who was caught in adultery, in the act of adultery, and the religious leaders in their arrogant selves take her and throw her at the feet of Jesus and saying the law says to condemn her by stoning. What do you say, Jesus? Thinking they have Jesus in a quandary. Is he going to kill her there with his stone, or is he going to disobey the law? And you know what Jesus says? He says, you without sin, cast the first stone. And the scripture says, they all put down their stones from the oldest to the youngest. That's powerful. But what's even more powerful is what Jesus does next. He kneels down before that woman in the midst of her shame. And he says, woman, where are they at? They are not here to condemn you and neither do I. And then he says, go and sin no more. He tells her to go. You need another example? Fast forward 40 days, Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And he tells them, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So what Jesus tells Mary here, Mary, don't cling to me, but go. He told that to the demon-possessed man. He tells that to the woman in adultery. He tells that to the the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he tells that to you. Don't live in that year. Praise God for that year he saved you. But don't stay there. Go. Go. 
and go and tell them what God has done for you. Have you been forgiven, fam? Don't keep that to yourself. Have you been in this place of grief like Mary? And has God um, removed the blur so you can see Jesus in the midst of your sorrow? If he has, go and tell someone what it was like when you were staring at the sorrow until you turned to Jesus and he brought hope. That's what he does. And yes, the Bible is more relevant than what you're going to find in the paper tomorrow because he meets you today, fam, in what you're going through. This is what differentiates the death of a morally good person and the one who defeats death. It's a difference between eternity for all of us, fam. And so Mary goes and tells the disciples in verse 18, I have seen the Lord. Man, if you've seen Jesus, you've got something to say. And yeah, we may not have seen him literally with these eyes. We're going to see next week when Jesus tells Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But today, what makes Easter significant is because that tomb is empty. Jesus would go on not just to appear to Mary, but to the other women. Women's testimonies in ancient Jewish custom were not of any value in a court of laws. And God's like, I don't go by those laws. I'm going to give the first eyewitness to be Mary, a woman who was bound by demons one day. That's the first eyewitness. Not the religious leader, not this prideful, self-arrogant somebody. No, to the person who says, I need to be forgiven much. And then he goes to the other women, who then go to the disciples. And then Jesus reveals to Peter, and then to more than 500 people at one time, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is alive, family. And I hope that you and I can say, I have seen the Lord like they could say. Yeah. So Jesus is still in the business of encountering people. And I hope you can shout out a year. And if you can't, man, in just a moment, we're going to have our prayer team come forward here. Man, I would love for you, if you right now say, man, I don't know. I don't know where I stand with God. I've been trying a lot of self-help, but I know don't deal with my sin. I go to bed at night afraid. I go to bed at night despairing. It's because you need forgiveness. Our prayer team is going to be here forward, and what they want you to do is come to them. They'd love to pray with you. And you must also know you don't need a prayer team member to trust in Jesus. There in your seats, you can cry out saying, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for my sins, Jesus. I believe you died for me, and you rose for me, and I want to go and follow you. And if you do that, the Bible says you become adopted in God's family. You used to be a child of wrath, but now you're a child of God. You used to be an enemy of the cross. Now you're a friend of God. This is what God does through faith in Jesus. So if that's where you're at today, you want to put your faith in Jesus. You want to say, April 21st, 2019, I encountered Jesus. Please do so. Let's all rise to our feet, church family. Prayer team, would you make your way forward? If you're a child of God today, and God is stirring your heart to be prayed for in any way, whether, whether it's just God's been telling you to go and you haven't been, and you want to let someone know that you heard it loud and clear today, let our prayer team ever pray with you. But all of us, family, let's make sure we respond today, okay? Let's make sure you respond. 
somehow. Jesus did not die and resurrect to give us a holiday. I like wearing bow ties. That's not what Easter's for. It's to celebrate our risen King. So respond today somehow, even as we sing this closing song. And let's make sure that God gets all the glory. Family, He is risen.